Hello, welcome to the Rainbow Connection, the podcast about the wonderful works of Jim Henson. And this week, Nathaniel, what are we talking about? This week, we are talking about the Muppets, but not the other Muppets. We're talking about the Muppets, not the Muppets. We're talking about the Muppets, obviously. This is mostly what we talk about. Specifically, we're talking about the 2011? Yes. We are talking about the 2011 movie called The Muppets, which is not the TV series, which is also called The Muppets, but lowercase and with a period. Or just the brand, The Muppets. Yes. We're talking specifically about one movie in honor of Valentine's Day, because there is a romantic B-plot in this movie, and it was advertised like a romantic comedy in a few posters. Yes. Oh, they had a whole fake trailer for this movie that was selling it as a romantic comedy. Yeah. Under a like different name. It was all part of the marketing. Uh, but anyway, this is Disney's essentially sequel slash reboot of the Muppet movie franchise after they bought the Jim Henson Company and merged it into Disney. Yes. This is the actual first thing they did with the property. It's good. No, I liked this movie a lot. Especially comparing it to the TV show they did after, which is so much worse. I don't know how they went from this movie, which is really genuinely good, to that TV show. Yeah, it's weird because there's a lot of really big talent behind this movie that, you know, Disney is the kind of company that can leverage. And it's just weird that with that proven in this movie, they couldn't do something as good or as interesting for the tv show which is just kind of a dud at least the first half of it yeah and the and the weirdest thing i think for me is that they got the tone right they clearly got the tone correct they knew what they were doing the characters seem right everything feels a muppety it feels good and then they just throw it out the window of a moving van and you watch its horrifying like breaking limbs as it rolls down the street in the tv show that is a very vivid picture. Would it help if it was like a Muppet person you were throwing out and it was like flailing felty limbs instead of normal human limbs? I mean, that is a scene I could actually see in a Muppet movie. It's just a Muppet version of the guy who made the TV show who they throw <laughs> out of a window. No, uh, they're not going to be that mean to the guy who made The Big Bang Theory. This is the first movie that Disney made with the Muppets property, which we talked about already. Uh, it's also 12 years after the last Muppet movie, which was Muppets from Space in 1999. So there's a huge gap here with no uh, major Muppet properties being released. Filmic. There yeah. are a lot of TV movies and there's some TV stuff, but yeah. no cinematic. Yeah, no feature things. film releases up to this point. So we kind of accidentally started watching the movies in chronological order, starting from the third <laughs> last one. Uh, the other thing to note is that this does essentially function as a direct sequel to the 1979 uh, The Muppets movie. Yeah, it's one. It's kind of like um, Creed functioning as like a direct sequel to like, I don't know, like the fourth Rocky movie. Yeah. Where it's like, 
yeah, it's a direct sequel, but also it's been like 30, 40 years. Yeah. More than that. In the Muppets case, it's been like, or like since the 70s. But Like the new Halloween movie that just ignores all of the other sequels and takes place as a direct sequel to the original Halloween. You see, the Muppets movies never cared about continuity, though, so that's fine. You don't even have to view this as a sequel if you don't want to. It just clearly is setting yeah. itself up to kind of be one. It does reference a lot of things very directly from the 1979 movie. You could also just say that that's a like, well, this is the first one and we're like the new first one because yeah. it's like rebooting it. That There's is what a... they're doing very clearly with mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, do you want to summarize? We'll summarize the plot and then get into our opinions and yeah. jokes. The very like broad overview is let's get the gang back together because <laughs> we have to save the theater. Like it's a very 80s movie like... It's very Blues Brothers. It's very Blues Brothers. But I mean, the first Muppets movie is a like, let's get the band together and cross country road trip to be like stars in Hollywood. So it it feels like a good like mirroring to that. Yeah. Uh, The way this plot is put into motion is by original characters introduced in this film, which is a ballsy move. I think I like that it starts with these people who are not in any way involved in the Muppets. They act as audience proxy and they're pretty good at doing that because you kind of can't in the first movie kermit is essentially audience proxy because it's his origin story more or less but you can't really do that anymore because the character's too well known yeah he's more of a celebrity figure now so you need a new outsider to come in and shake things up shake things up so we've got walter yes and his brother gary so they're a set of brothers who live in small town usa we open on small town usa Literally Small Town It USA, is named Small Town. Which is a great US. joke. You don't know yeah. that until like they leave town, but it's a very good joke. Gary is a normal human man. And Walter <laughs> is a Muppet. Yeah, he's just a Muppet. And they have this montage of them growing up and Walter being a Muppet. And his status as a Muppet is never explained. And we never see their parents. So it's just a thing that we accept. And that's fine. Because this is a Muppets movie. I mean, there's never any explanations for why some things are Muppets and some things aren't. So I don't really want to get into it. Walter is different. And people see that he's different and treat him like crap because kids are the worst. He Uh, appears to be the only Muppet living in small town. Yeah, he is. Everybody else is human and he is very much an outsider because of that, despite growing up there. Yeah, and he eventually finds an old cassette tape of the Muppets, and he falls in love with the Muppets, and they watch him and his brother watch it. Like, every night, he's, he's obsessed with them, and he looks up to them, because, like, you know, they're like him, and he doesn't get that in his real life. And so he's got, like, sh- crap tons of memorabilia, and he's just, like, super into the Muppets, you guys. Which, in this case, is uh, the Muppet show from the 70s, very directly. Like, they yeah. use archival footage of the 70s TV series as the show that they're watching in the movie. It's really cute, honestly. Uh, It also doesn't help him get more popular in any way. It is like the small town kid who is a bit of a loser and so he gets really into anime and that just makes it worse. Yeah. Which, but, like, Walter's not a bad guy. He's just obsessive and, like, really weird and very focused. And I don't know 
know, maybe like the slightest bit, like I, I bet some people could read an autistic reading onto that character. He is hmm. very, he's got like a spe- very specific focus. He doesn't like relate to people very well. I don't know necessarily if that's, I don't think, I'd hope them not being like offensive or anything, but yeah, that's possible. I wouldn't be surprised if some people related to the character in that way. He certainly got the energy of a Muppet. <laughs> I have a note here. Is this movie about the value of representation? Which it kind of is. A little bit, because, yeah, yeah, he, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, he gets to join with the Muppets, and, like, he has found a place where he belongs where he didn't before. It is a very, like, familiar story for people who are from small towns who feel different, who, like, try to get into the arts. I went to this summer camp growing up that was a musical theater camp, which, yes, I'm that kind of a person. And, like, every kid there was, like, so attached to this camp because it was the only place where they felt like they had a community where they belonged because this camp was on the border of the United States and Canada between North Dakota, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. These kids were not in the right place to be as artistically minded as they were. They were not in the good spot for that. And I I feel for Walter in that way. Walter feels like he could have shown up at IMC. He did know a ventriloquist at that camp. So, you know, it would have weirded him out a bit, but he still would have fit in, I think. His brother, Gary, though. Yes, Gary is a kind of a slacker. He grows up in small town and he seems really happy there. And he doesn't really have any ambitions, but he's been dating Mary for, what is it, 10 years? Something ludicrous like that, like yeah, a I really think, long time. I think it's like their 10-year dating anniversary in the movie, which is like part of how the plot kicks off. And the character, it looks like he's like, I mean, he's played by... Uh, he's played by Jason, Jason Siegel. Siegel. So, he's, so he's like in his 30s. Yeah. Probably like his early 30s. He's like getting towards middle-aged and he hasn't moved out of his childhood home and he's like living with his brother and he just seems content where he is and doesn't really want to go anywhere else in life. And, you know, he's dating this woman who like really loves him and she's like an amazing skilled person who everybody in town loves and he just seems very happy staying as things are he's very status quo he is very protective of walter yes which is something you see throughout the montage and throughout the first act of this movie is that like he's a good brother he really has noticed how hard it's been for walter growing up and wants to make sure that he's okay he doesn't necessarily always do what's best for him but he can't possibly know everything so his mistakes are very human he's just trying his best for his brother which if their parents aren't around at all so maybe it's kind of a like they're the only family they've got left kind of thing which isn't like text but you know it only heightens the sense that like they are very attached to each other yes more so than most siblings it is kind of a codependent sibling relationship mostly walter is very dependent on gary but doesn't really know that he is and gary is very knowingly protective of walter yes and then there's mary who is amy adams and i love her i love amy adams i also love mary yes mary is a teacher at the small town school she's a gifted mechanic She's incredibly intelligent. We are are introduced to her when uh, Gary goes to pick her up after class, and she is in her classroom with a fully assembled car inside the classroom teaching the children how to fix something, like replace a car car in the motor. Like fix a carburetor or something like that. 
And like her students love her so much that they're disappointed to go on like school break. Yeah, it's the last day of school before break and all the kids are really sad because they don't want to not be going to school. Yeah, which is, it sets the tone as being like, this is not any reality you guys are familiar with, which is good. And what else sets that tone is that the movie's doesn't start start but basically starts with a musical number which is so my speed this movie is an old-fashioned movie musical there are dancing in the street scenes it is like it knows it's what it is and it is playing it heightened for like laughs but like not that much more than something like hairspray and i love it So, the first song is great. It's a very cute little song that it starts off with. Brett McKenzie does some of the score on this from Flight of the Concords, which is also very funny musically, but in a different way than the Muppets usually. But great work. Amazing work. Love him. Love that he's on this. Everybody should listen to I'll Be the Racist Dragon. Life's a happy song. Life's a happy song. The first, the opening number, Life's a Happy Song. When there's someone by your side to sing along. It's this big musical number. Everybody in town is dancing and singing along. And it's very like small town Americana, 1950s happy. It's one of those intro songs where it's like, everything's great, only you know that it's not. Again, I'm going to reference Hairspray. It's a little bit like Good Morning Baltimore where, yeah, she's very happy about what's going on. But like she's talking about how there's a flasher down the street and also there's rats everywhere. This one isn't quite so uh, on the nose as that, but like... Because it's the very start of the movie, you know something's going to go wrong immediately. And also, you you know, Walter's been picked on his whole life and you already know that. You get the first kind of cue that it's mostly focused on these two characters and not everybody else in town. Because the second that Gary goes into the school, everybody in town stops singing and is like, they're gone. I mean, when they leave town, they all leave town. Yeah. It's also one of those moments where you can see Walter really not fitting into town because Gary can like seamlessly sing his way through town with everybody, but Walter falls behind. It's also just like really funny and like very good and well written. Life's a fillet of fish. Yes, it is, being my favorite line. You know, it's a series of life's a blank, and then a, like, rhyming couplet to it besides fillet a fish because nobody knows how to rhyme that one. Uh, It's a very good little song. So, yes, then we get the scene in the schoolroom where Gary is like, uh, are you excited? We're going to place. Yes, Oh, right. Actually, before the opening number, we should mention they're planning on going to L.A. Gary is going to L.A., and... He invites Walter. Gary and Mary are planning their 10-year dating anniversary, and they're going to LA, and it's a big deal. And Walter talks about how great it would be to go to the Muppet Studios, which are in LA. And asks for a postcard, and then Gary's like, you're gonna come. He's and like, then I can't he's... get you a postcard, buddy, because you're coming with us. And he has three tickets to LA. Yes, and then when he goes to pick up his girlfriend at the classroom, he's like, you're sure you're okay with Walter coming, right? And then she's like, yeah! sure like she clearly just has no ability to deal with conflict she's like she just it's fine as long as we can have dinner together on friday night on our anniversary yeah yeah. she also clearly cares a lot about walter and wants him to be happy but like she has clearly wanted some commitment from this guy for a really long time and not been able to talk directly about it like (laughs) as evidenced by the fact that they've been just dating for 10 years yeah which And this is clearly not what she wanted. Yeah. Um, Like, she's happy in the relationship, but she wants more. She wants to settle down. She gets a sad number immediately after, which is like a kind of reprise of uh, Life's a Happy Song. But also kind of functions as her motivation because she wants 
more from being with Gary and it's there's a very funny sequence where she's singing and she leans against the window of the schoolyard and it appears to be raining and then the camera angles on the window from outside and the gardener is out there with a hose and he's just spraying down the window so it looks like rain. It is also the first Amy Adams singing very dramatically song. Like Amy Adams can sing. She has a very pretty voice. Uh, She's fantastic and enchanted. I want her in more musicals but like this one she's hamming it up pretty hard most of the time. Her voice is still very lovely but like every song she's in except really ensemble numbers she's being kind of stupid yeah and that's great because that's like it's that's the tone they're going for and i like that she is absolutely delightful also she was robbed for a rival she should have gotten the nomination and the award yes sorry this is one of my pet things we're recording this after Oscar nominations have been announced, but before the actual ceremonies, and I'm always mad about the Oscars. So for 20 unalterated minutes of me rambling about the Oscars, go to our bonus. Now, if we set up a Patreon, I will do that bonus episode, but not right now. We have been talking about doing that Oscars podcast. Yes. If you want to hear us talk about the Oscars for hours on end, email us at muppetspod at gmail.com. But after that, they leave. So they get on a Greyhound bus and they go to Los Angeles. Yes. And their first day there, they want to swing by the Muppet Studio and take a tour because, you know, Walter is really excited to go there. And it's so sad. It's very sad. It's like dilapidated. Like I've been watching a lot of Defunct Land lately. It's like one of those theme parks that like functionally shut down 30 years ago, but for some reason hasn't actually closed its doors. And so like everything is paint chipped and there's like one guy working there who like tricks a couple who doesn't speak English into thinking that it's Universal Studios. It's very sad. Everything is like blocked off except for, and here's the place where we kept the rope. Yeah. So Walter breaks into Kermit's old house. Because yes. they're going through everything the tour else is terrible. and they pass Kermit's old office and Walter, he's been kind of disappointed the whole tour because he was expecting it to be a bit more magical. And so he sneaks into the office and in there he's looking at all of the memorabilia that's hanging around and there's the contract that they sign in the first Muppets movie is laid out on a table. And then he hears people moving around, so he hides and Statler and Waldorf enter leading Tex Richmond. Yes, it's Tex Richmond, evil oil Evil oil baron. Yeah, he has the most stereotypical, like, movie villain ever, and, like, I love it. Like, the movie doesn't, like, try to hide it at all. So and then lead... he's got uh, Bobo and Uncle Deadly are his, like... Yeah, they're his minions, minions, basically. Because Bobo is always Kronk for some reason. Yeah, so they lead him in, and they're talking about the studio and some of its history, and they point out the contract. And Statler and Waldorf make jokes about how it wasn't any good anyways. So. Yeah, they make jokes about how crappy the studio was. Uh, and they bring up the contract, and Statler and Waldorf are like, it's rock solid except for the- No, the or thing the... is, they're selling the studio right, right, right. to Tex Richmond, and he says he's going to make it into a Muppets museum because he loves the Muppets so much and you're not buying this for a second because his name is Tex Richmond and he's wearing an evil suit and he has an evil face and the contract is solid except for the part where if they raise what is it like 10 million dollars yeah if they raise 10 million dollars the Muppets by midnight the the night of the deal then the Muppets will get the studio back and then then Statler and Wardolf leave yeah Waldorf and Statler leave and immediately like 
on a dime, he turns completely evil and starts talking about how he's going to tear the whole studio down because there's oil underneath and he's going to drill for it. Which, there's no way he'd be able to do that because this thing is clearly in the middle of LA and there's zoning for that. But like, yeah, no, it's like cartoonishly villainous. Like, this is about as cartoonish as, I want to kidnap this frog and make him do advertisements for my frog leg company. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's why it works. This movie knows what it's going for. It's very over the top. It's very, like, 80s movie. Yeah, it's got a lot of 80s movies. And there's this great shot here when Walter hears the, like, they're gonna tear down the studio where it, like, dolly zooms on his screaming <laughs> yes. face. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, a dolly zoom on a puppet is pretty great. I have this note here that says choir joke, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> I should have taken more context don't know what that would be referring to. Well, if you watched this movie and you liked it, choir joke, am I right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, he Walter runs out. He screaming. Just... He runs out screaming, and he stays screaming across multiple cuts, yes. <laughs> which is very funny. And then he finally comes down enough to tell Gary and Mary what's going on, and they are, like, upset. They don't want this to happen. Like, they care about the Muppets, too, you guys. Gary suggests <laughs> that they... well. <laughs> There's a very good joke where they're driving and they're trying to brainstorm ideas about what to do. And then they're trying uh, to find Kermit. Gary suggests that they find Kermit and ask him what to do. And they're trying to figure out how to find Kermit. And they drive by a guy who's wearing like a big sandwich board that's like star maps. And he has a bunch of maps in his hand and he's like waving. And then right next to him, there's a hot dog stand. And Walter goes, I have an idea. Stop the car. <laughs> There's a cut and they're eating hot dogs. This was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> There's some shootings where they're just driving around LA and then they're about to give up and they're in front of a set of metal gates with Kermit and Miss Piggy's face on them. So they go in there uh, and basically try to break out into Kermit's house and then Kermit shows up and Which... Walter immediately faints. Oh. The way they try to break into his house is Walter asks Gary to throw him over the gate, but then there's an electric fence around the top. Yeah, which Walter thinks would never happen because Kermit, but... So anyway. No. Anyways, Kermit shows up in a halo of light from his car, and Walter immediately faints, and... They take Walter inside, and they explain to Kermit what they heard, and Kermit is understandably very upset about this. And he's very sad, and his house is very big and lonely. Like, it's a big, dark 80s mansion. Full of these, like, Baroque oil paintings of all of his old friends. And the Rocky mansion I made before was not by mistake. He also has an 80s robot. Yes. Like Rocky IV. Where, uh, constantly <laughs> trying to serve them tab. Yes. 80s robot is my new favorite Muppet. I love him so much. I just want an 80s robot. I, like, grew up with a toy robot that you had a little tray and it could, like, remote control around and put stuff on the tray and you could talk through a little thing and it would come out in a robot voice. And I just love robots so much. But yes, 80 robot, 80s robot is there in an attempt to help uh, serve them some tab. They brainstorm for a little bit and they come up with the idea to get all of the Muppets back together and they're going to put on no, a show. Specifically, it's... We need to raise $10 million before this day to get the studio back. Well, the only way we could do that is to put on a show. But the gang hasn't been back together for years. Yeah. <laughs> well, then why don't we get them back together? That's a great idea. There's a great song in between there where Kermit, like, wanders the empty halls well, of his mansion. this is immediately after they decide to, like... Yeah. yeah. He, like, wanders the empty halls of his mansion and uh, he has all sings these... to the portraits of all of the other Muppets. And they, like, come to life and sing along, and it's very sad. He has, yeah, a, like, big 
collection of oil paintings of his friends. Uh... There's smoke pouring out of the portrait of the electric mayhem, which is either they hotboxed the oil painting or they have a smoke machine. But we know which one of those it is, really. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the song in that point is Pictures in My Head, which is a very sweet little number. The further he gets in, the Muppets start, like, coming out of their paintings and telling him, like, we should go for it and we'll do a show together and it'll be great. And then I think Walter suggests that they're going to give them, uh, give the audience the best gift they possibly can. Children? Oh, no. Ice cream? No. Laughter? Oh, the third best gift. <laughs> yeah. Which comes back, but it's a good joke. So they're getting the band back together. They commence a road trip around places where the Muppets now live. First stop, Reno. To collect Fozzie, who is headlining a band as the comedian. He's a he's he's part of a, Moop, a Muppets cover band called the Muppets, who are basically just the Muppets from the TV show. Yeah. Okay, that's a bit mean to the TV show. They're like mean, and they're mean to Fozzie, and Fozzie lives in the alley outside of the hotel in Reno. And yeah, they yeah, go. Fozzie's life is very sad. Fozzie's life is very sad. Kermit and Walter and Gary and Mary all show up, and he's on doing his set but his set consists of like reading the announcements for the bar yeah it's like super sad it's very sad he puts on a like brave face for like three minutes when like kermit talks to him in the alley about like how sorry he is for leaving him here and then he immediates like the miss piggy uh like standpoint miss poogie or whatever it is like yells at him and closes the door and then fuzzy's immediately like i hate it here please take me away so they get fuzzy pretty easy uh, next one is Gonzo. Gonzo has started a successful toilet business since yes. the dissolution of the Muppets. Gonzo has become the magnate of a gigantic used plumbing company. Yes, him and his chicken wife, who I think works there. And he seems to be doing really well. He's The company is ordering, doing really well. Yeah, the company's doing amazing. He's ordering everybody around. He invites uh, them to talk for 30 seconds yeah, between like, when 30 he's doing seconds. stuff and uh, when he's... He invites them to sit down on some toilets. Fozzie makes their 30 seconds useless by, like, trying to keep reminding Kermit of important things to tell him. And then Gonzo says, like, no, I'm doing this, like, cool business thing now. See y'all later. They leave, and they're sadly walking out of the building. And And then then his chicken wife reminds him of who he really is. She's a very supportive chicken wife. Yes. And, like, she gets subtitles in this, which is, like, a super not not how it usually is, but I kind of loved it. Oh, great. We know what she's saying and they have an actual like communicative relationship it makes it way better that he's clearly (laughs) gonzo then reveals that he's been wearing his daredevil uniform under his suit for all these years and he's been longing to go back to the muppets and he has installed a automatic used plumbing destroying button so he blows up his entire company which is just really extra (laughs) yes there's a massive explosion which fozzy points out looks very expensive also part of this, like, finding the original Muppets is they find Animal in an anger support group. Which his celebrity sponsor is Jack Black. Yes, Jack Black is celebrity sponsoring Animal in this anger support group. And they're, like, all in these zen circles in white robes. And, like, the Muppets <laughs> sneak up from the bushes and try and like whisper animal over to talk to him about coming and doing the show yes they accidentally incite a huge fight because they say that they need a drummer and uh drum is animal's animal's trigger trigger word word. 
So Jack Black is like, no, you can't make him drum. But like then all of the people in the anger support group get into a fist fight and Jack Black is like, go animal, be free, but don't play the drums. <laughs> uh, and so they kidnap animal. <sighs> and then they decide that it would take too long to get everybody else like this. So they do it in a montage. Uh, so uh, Bunsen and Beaker are at CERN, which is amazing. Yes. Uh, the su- or at least they're at something that is clearly supposed to be CERN, and they're at a super collider. Yes. Uh, I think, but <laughs> given the time frame the movie came out in, it's CERN. Beaker, like, almost gets sucked into the super collider. <laughs> Sam the Eagle is working at clearly Fox News. Yes. He it is, is clearly Fox News. He is a news, like a political pundit at a news show, which is clearly Fox News. They... Do the same thing to Sweetums that they do in the first movie, where he, like, goes to get his suitcase and they leave him at a, like, used car lot, which is terrible because Sweetums is a good boy who yes. deserves better, but it is funny. And then uh, Ralph is angry because he didn't get to be in the montage because he thought his story was really interesting, and then it's revealed that, like, they Turn, just... Turns out he was sleeping on a porch, yeah. and they woke him up and were like, we're gonna go do a show. And he goes, Yeah. Awesome. Great, yeah. He just seems to have a nice place in the suburbs somewhere with a, like, porch that has a hammock on it. He's chill. Just to be clear, he's sleeping in a hammock on the porch. He's not sleeping on a porch like a dog. I mean, he is like a dog. He is a dog. But not like that. No. And then they have to go to Paris, because that's where Miss Piggy is. But it's going to take a really long time to get to Paris, unless they travel by map. Yes, at this point, all of the other Muppets have just been collected via montage. Yes, this is going to be a point that I make, and then I'll try not to make it again. Rizzo is there in the background of, like, all of this and doesn't say a single line the whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of insane for me. I don't know, maybe it's just because I grew up with Muppets from Space, and I think of Rizzo as something of an important Muppet, but, like... I mean, he's also got lots of stuff to do in, uh... Christmas Carol. Yeah, he's fairly important as a Muppet. He's not, like, top top tier but he's like he's your normally that level with pepe the prompt pepe gets more to do in this than rizzo which is fine i just thought it was weird i kept expecting him to say something maybe they just didn't have someone who could do the voice he gets a little bit shortchanged in this movie but anyways yes they have to go to paris because that's where miss piggy is and uh i think i think it's mary suggests that they travel by map (laughs) so then they press a button on the car and it just like zooms out to like an old-fashioned map and it draws the line as they go across, like, in their car across the ocean to Paris, and then they just drive sure. up onto a beach. Yep. Uh, it's very, like, Emperor's New Groove logic. Yep. How did we get here? I don't know. By all accounts, it doesn't make any sense. And then they get to... Miss Piggy is working as the plus-size editor at Vogue. Yes. Which is not a joke. She's just, like, a successful career woman at this point. Yeah. Her secretary is 110% Emily Blunt's character from The Devil Wears Prada. Yes, She's absolutely. got the same hair color, and it's Emily Blunt, and she acts basically the same. So it's just Emily Blunt's character from The Devil Wears Prada, uh, and they get into the office by doing Muppet Man, which is stacking all of the Muppets on a trench coat. Yes. And then Miss Piggy is very upset that she fell for Muppet Man, because she knows this one. Yes, Fozzie plays the head, and for some reason, both of Scooter's arms are shoved out of one sleeve. Yeah, and everybody cares about each other in this movie, which is a thing that, like, even Miss Piggy, who doesn't really want to go back, doesn't hate them. She's just like, yeah, I've got a really good gig going here, guys. Like, I don't need this. Yeah. And she's, like, very upset because Kermit and her relationship fizzled out in a way that both of them are clearly unhappy about. Yeah, they're kind of doing a mirroring thing where uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy's relationship never progressed past a certain point and they drifted apart and they're using that to compare Mary and Gary's relationship. 
Yeah, it's like they hit a point where they were committed and then they just didn't really go forward and settle down the way that they both kind of wanted to but couldn't, like, talk to each other about. It's about communication, really. Yeah, and there's some really good character drama in these sequences. Yeah, uh, you buy their relationship. It's way better disillusionment of this relationship than in the TV show. They're doing the same thing, but they're doing it way better here. And they have this really genuine conversation in the streets of Paris where, you know, he's trying to she's uh, miss piggy's trying to decide whether or not to come back and do the show and she needs to talk to kermit alone and they have this really heartfelt conversation about what went wrong and whether or not the like them being together is worth it anymore and it's just really like good kind of heartbreaking scene between these two characters that feel like they actually care about each other yeah it's just good so anyway she decides she you know she's got a good gig here and she doesn't need this and kermit can't admit that he needs her that's the important thing is that like yeah the muppets need her but what about you kermit like you're my i think they're married they got married there's like a wedding photo in the background of the house and like this house that kermit's been living in alone is the house they bought to stay in like their house that they bought together that's confirmed later with the photos it's also on the front gate though oh yeah it's like it's him and her so yeah. like, yeah, he can't admit that he needs her. And so she's like, whatever, I'm just going to like go back to my life. Good luck. Like, I don't wish you ill. Just good luck. The Muppets are very disheartened by her decision. And they start to worry that they won't be able to do the show without Miss Piggy because she's a massive star and she would be really important in getting this whole thing together. And to uh, fill her place, they get Miss Poogie of the Muppets. Yes, the horrible, horrible <laughs> monster that worked with Fozzie. So they go to a bunch of television networks and all of them turn them, turn them down. Nobody wants to deal with them uh, until they talk to the last one, which is CNE. It's like a fake. News. Yeah. It's a fake TV network. And they also turn them down because they're not relevant anymore. Uh, that's the logic is that like they bring down a relevancy chart and they're like way off to the side and they're like, nobody cares about you old fogies anymore. And I just had to like stop for a second because like, I guess in... 2011 not everything on the planet was a reboot of something yeah it was slightly less of a thing than it is now because that line of reasoning makes so little sense from a modern standpoint that like anything would be turned down because it's old and nostalgic and not cool anymore old things are what's cool now (laughs) there's like another ghostbusters movie coming out and they just made one of those like four years ago (laughs) there's been six spider-men Everything. Everything is reboots. And if it's not reboots, it's like pretending to be a reboot, like Stranger Things. Everything is... Like, the 70s is a little bit early, but not by much. Yeah, they're... And they were clearly popular into the 80s, so like... The logic of this decision is not really that sound but whatever it like works it's supposed the... to be an exaggeration of like market trends and things being cool but it's so counter to what things are now that it feels really weird like the joke doesn't land the way it's supposed to yeah anymore but they do get the spot because their show uh like what is it beating up teachers or something so the producer rashida jones tells them that things that are popular now are shows like punch teacher then shows them a clip of it and ken jeong is the host and it's just high school kids punching teachers in the face teachers who are like held in stocks and talking about how all they wanted to do is inspire kids yeah it's i think it's just kind of supposed to be like a reality tv game show kind of joke it's, yeah it's funny because it's absurd. It's not funny because it's, like, something that actually resembles television. At least, I don't watch a lot of television, so maybe it does. 
And then we get. Uh, the... It does kind of remind me of. I just want to make this comparison. The TV show in Sorry to Bother You that everybody is into. Yeah, that's which not is dissimilar, also just. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what that's called either, but it's basically just people getting beat on. Is the TV show so clearly this is a thing that Hollywood thinks people are crazy about? I guess Boots Riley isn't really Hollywood, but you know what I mean. So yeah, they get the slot because the teachers' union has gotten that show canceled. <laughs> Yes. And they have like a two hour block dedicated to it in a week. Donald Glover has a cameo here where he comes in and he's like, the teacher's union is suing us for damages. And it's weird because Donald Glover is a way bigger deal now than he was then. So yeah. it's like, okay. Um, and the one stipulation is that they have to find a celebrity host. So they go back to the studios and they try to clean it up to like do some, like, get ready for the stuff. And uh, We Built This City starts playing so that they can do a cleaning montage. Oh, yeah. And their janitor, Beauregard, has just been living in the studio closet the whole time and didn't know where anybody was. Yes, for Beauregard. Yeah, they they try and start cleaning and they can't seem to get anything done. And they they get reminded that uh, they're the Muppets and so they work to music. Yes. And then they turn the music on. And it's We Built This City. Yeah. And, uh, and they intercut of cleaning and Kermit, like, going through his, uh, Rolodex of people he knows, and they're all, like, 80 celebrities, and, like, some of them are dead. I think one of them is, like, Jimmy Carter. Yeah, it's, like, President Carter, and it's like, yeah. oh, no, Kermit. So nobody wants to be on the show. Uh, although the other Muppets are, at this point, being really accepting of Walter being around, and they're kind of including him in cleaning things up and... Just kind of joking around with him. Amy Adams is getting a little bit uh, tired of, like, doing all this stuff and wants to, like, go out like they planned on their vacation together. Yeah. Uh, Like, she's supportive, but she's like, can we maybe do some stuff? And Gary's all like... I want to stick with Walter one more day. I'm worried about him. At this point, we get like a big billboard outside of the studio that's like for Cars 2. And I just audibly groaned because like, yeah, yeah, Disney owns it now. I guess they can do their cross promotion. But ugh, that movie is the worst. Yeah. Like if it was any other Pixar movie, it wouldn't have probably hurt as bad. But like, ugh. Cars 2 is a bad movie. Cars 2 is just objectively bad. If you like it, whatever. But like, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not good. I don't know what else to say. It's not a good movie. So, so Amy Adams goes off to start sightseeing on her own. And we get a, another song. It is a, it starts off as a, a single song by Amy Adams uh, called Party for One after she gets introduced to the restaurant as a party for one by, I think the like waitress is Sarah Silverman. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Sarah Silverman likes doing cameos. So yeah, Amy Adams is singing this song about how she's totally cool to be on her own and she's going to have a great time by herself. And then it cuts and it's like Miss Piggy also doing this song. Yes. And clearly neither of them are actually okay with this, but they're like, they're going to keep going. And it's very good. Then... Uh, Miss Piggy decides to come back and do a, like, thing with Pepe, a dance with Pepe for the show. Uh, but, like, she's keeping keeping her distance from Kermit. And I think the show is, like, not going well. Part of the problem is that Animal, you know, Animal isn't drumming, so they can't keep to time to anything. And, you know, the stage is still a disaster and everybody's still kind of learning how to get back into this. And Walter's been helping out. He's been, like, learning music and doing a bunch of stuff for them. And Gary is, like, clearly still being protective and worried about him, but, like, he's starting doesn't have to be. Yeah, he's starting to get more comfortable being around the Muppets on his own and kind of breaking out of his shell. And while uh, Gary doesn't really know how to 
handle that because yeah, he's having Wal- trouble letting go. Walter has always kind of needed him. So uh, they're worried that they're not going to be able to like do this show good enough to get the money. So they're like, what else can we do? We can't just like, ask to get our thing back. And then they, they go to just ask to get their thing back. Uh, and the villain pretends for like a few minutes to like not be evil and then does an evil song, which yes. is a white guy rap because white guys rapping is the evilest thing you can do. <laughs> What's great about it, I mean, it's a villain song, but also it has, like, the sing-along parts underneath. Yeah, it's, like, very silly. And it's very like, silly. The character reminds me a lot of Donald Trump. Yeah, I would not at all be surprised if that was deliberate. Like, yeah, if that was what he's they got based that vibe on. a lot. I mean, that mixed with, like, the typical, like, oil evil man from things. But he's not Southern, really. I mean, he's got a bit of it, but he's not as much. And this is when he reveals the true depth of his evil plot, which is that the contract that he signed to buy the studio did not just include the Muppet Studio grounds, but also includes a clause that he owns the Muppet brand name. Yes, they're losing their copyright, and like their names are part of the copyright. Yes. It's very dramatic, uh, and he kicks them out. And Kermit asks him what he's going to do with their names, and... His plan is to do a new version of the Muppets with the Muppets because they're a hard-edged act for a hard world. Yeah, they're going to do edgy Muppets. I can't believe they thought the Muppets should be mean. It was literally the villain plot in this movie. Why did you do it in the show? Also, Fozzie seems to be a white rapper. <laughs> like, yes. the, the alternate Fozzie. So Miss Poogie betrays them because she got kicked out of the show when Miss Piggy showed, showed up. And, like... Yes, yes. Uh, not that Miss Poogie was ever, like, part of the family. So they uh, get they get kicked out, and they're kind of in dire straits. Meanwhile, uh, Mary and Gary meet up back at their hotel, and Gary is like, yeah, we're still on for dinner. And Mary's like, okay, what are you planning? And Gary's like, I don't know, whatever you want. And she's very sad. Because Gary has forgotten that it's their anniversary night. Yeah, well, and she like clearly was expecting him to plan something and like thought it would be a special night, and she clearly hoped that it would be a proposal, and he like clearly doesn't care. I just feel real bad for her. Anyways, they go back and all of the Muppets, except for Kermit, are like, we have to do something. And so they kidnap Jack Black. (laughs) Yes. Miss Piggy comes up with the idea to just kidnap a celebrity guest. Yeah. So they kidnap Jack Black uh, using animal as bait. They ninja their way into his house and... (laughs) They do like the classic like multi-frame cuts of like like ninjas with like text underneath. It's very funny. (laughs) Then they tie him up and throw him in the trunk of their car. (laughs) Yes. Then we get... One of the other musical numbers in this, a very good one, Man or Muppet. So we're hitting the culminating points of these arcs. So after Mary gets rejected on the dinner thing, she decides to go home. Uh, and she gives Gary the ultimatum that, like, you need to decide now if you're a man or a Muppet. And Gary is also having to decide if he's joining the Muppets or not. So we're getting this duet where Gary is trying to come to terms well, with... One more detail we need to set up this oh. is... Uh... Uh, just prior to this musical number, Walter has been asked to do a number for the show. Right. And he doesn't know what his talent is, and Kermit tells him to just, like, you know, dig deep and you'll find it. Yeah, because you're clearly special. You're, you're clearly special. And... Yeah, Kermit is so supportive. Like, that's the other nice thing about this is that Walter doesn't have any real awkward, unfortunate moments in front of his celebrity things besides the time when he faints. He just, like, slots in really nicely and everyone's really, like 
welcoming him to to him immediately and Kermit immediately takes him under his wing and is like, yeah, this is my friend Walter. And this is like, this is really nice. I appreciate this. So Gary gets this ultimatum and Walter is at this crossroads trying to figure out what he can contribute to the Muppets. So they're both singing these songs, man or Muppet. Gary's reflection is like a Muppet version of him and Walter's reflection is Jim Parsons, who is supposed to be the human version of him. Jim Parsons, uh, if you don't know, is Sheldon from the Big Bang Theories. Big Bang Theories, the multiple, no. Uh, He is Sheldon. Bazingo. Bazoop Goop. Bazoop Goop. Uh, Yes, so they're singing, it's a good song, Man or Muppet. It's a really good song. It is. This is the one that got them the uh, Academy Award for Best Song. Yes, it's a great original song. And so by the end of the song, Gary is like, I'm a man. The culminating line in the chorus is, if I'm a man, that makes me a Muppet of a man. Or if I'm a Muppet, that makes me a very manly Muppet, which are good lines. So yes, Gary is like, I'm a man. I am Muppety, but I am a man. And Walter's like, I am a Muppet. And he embraces his Muppetness. And so, great. They both know what they're doing. And Gary leaves. <laughs> Gary goes home to surprise uh, Mary with a anniversary dinner that he makes himself. And Walter goes and decides to, like, officially join the Muppets. Yeah, he decides to, like, help stay and help with the show. This is the point where the Muppets reveal that they've kidnapped Jack Black to Kermit. Uh, because this, this is like the night of the show and they need their celebrity star and they've got him like tied up in the back room in a suit. And uh, Kermit is very angry because this is super illegal, you guys. And the, the reveal is great because they're like outside and he's like, you got a celebrity guest? And they're like, yeah, who is it? Jack Black. How did you convince Jack Black to do the show? And then you just hear Jack Black's muffled screaming as the car bounces back and forth because he's in the trunk. <laughs> Yeah, so Herman is upset. It's like, this is very illegal, you guys. Well, what's more illegal? The ending of the Muppets are briefly inconveniencing Jack Black. Kidnapping Jack Black, Fozzie. Definitely kidnapping Jack Black. Yes, it's a great joke. Um, So (laughs) they just go with it because Kermit can't convince Miss Piggy to not do something. And they tie up Jack Black and they put him in a suit. And uh, nobody's at the show. Except Hobo Joe. Hobo Joe. Played by Zach Galifianakis. Is sitting in the audience with his uh, fire barrel. Yeah, he's supportive mostly. He's chill. Yeah. Uh, it's a good Zach Galifianakis. Oh, and Waldorf and Statler, of course. Yeah, but yeah, they're. I don't know if they count as Muppets or if they're outside the spectrum in this game. It's, it's kind of unfair. Also, Jack Black is amazing in this role. He does so good. Yeah. <laughs> just being like horrified and angry at the Muppets and like trying to get help. And it's just like, he's screaming at the audience like, please, this isn't a joke. And it's yeah. just like, nobody believes him. So they start the show. There's nobody in the audience. They're keeping time with Animal playing the triangle and they're keeping it together, but just barely. Yeah. And then uh, it starts getting better. Yeah, Fozzie comes on to do his kind of warm-up act, and... Oh, I forgot to introduce earlier, Fozzie attempts to make jokes using fart shoes. Oh, yes. This is not important, but I just think it's funny that one of his attempted things that they all rejected is fart, fart shoes. shoes. <laughs> Fozzie goes up to do his warm-up, doing jokes after the big intro number, and then Jack Black starts, like, just being really annoyed by these old, terrible jokes, and his reactions start eliciting laughter from the like two people that are in the audience at this point yeah and then people seeing it on tv start to like get the word out kind of and people start showing up to the theater 
Yeah, and then a couple celebrities show up uh, to, like, start manning the phones because it is, like, a telethon. Uh, I think it's Whoopi and Selena Gomez show up. And then the kid from Modern Family, so, like, a little bit dated at this point. Yeah. Uh, Only the kid from Modern Family because I don't think he's done anything since. And I don't- I think the show might still be running. But either way, like, not the most relevant thing. But it's fine. That happens with the Muppets. He asks Kermit- so they go backstage because they're, like, publicists told them to come there and uh, talk to Kermit about manning the phones. And- the kid from Modern Family, who I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, uh, asks Kermit if he's one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He just says yes so that he can get help. Yeah. Uh, so the phones start filling up. Neil Patrick Harris is there. John Krasinski is there. You know, there's people. Yeah, eventually. there's lots of celebrity cameos just in we- the in the like balcony manning the phones, yeah. which is great. We get back to Small Town where uh, Gary and Mary are having their romantic date, and also like it's showing in the background. Yeah, it's on and, the TV. Uh, Amy Adams is worried. Yeah, Mary starts to get worried that they might not make it to the 10 million dollars that they need so she suggests to gary that they go and help with the show and gary says that says that's very sweet of her but he's made his decision and he's gonna stay with her and then we cut back to the show and at this point kermit learns that everyone is expecting him and miss piggy to do a duet i think yeah, and they haven't reconciled yet. Uh, I don't know if the power gets cut off before or after this. Yeah, there's a number of things. There's that a lot of things that happen Tex in this. Richmond like, tries to do to, uh, to, to sabotage, sabotage the, the show. show. So the power gets cut eventually. Miss Piggy and Kermit finally actually have their discussion about their feelings. This is paralleling Mary and Gary's discussion about their feelings. Yep. And uh, Kermit basically does eventually admit that he needs Miss Piggy and that like he has missed her and like this is important and they reconcile this culminates uh, it's like Kermit this... is just like super emotionally repressed and too focused <laughs> yeah. on his work seems to be the main focus this conversation culminates with Kermit kind of going off on his own and he pulls a torn picture out of like a drawer in his office desk and it's a uh, half of their wedding half of photo. their wedding photo and i believe from muppets from manhattan or muppets take manhattan okay i haven't seen that but one yet i could so be I... wrong anyway and then uh, miss piggy has like walked up behind him and she reveals that she also has the other half of the photo and she's also kept it this whole time and they love each other so then they perform a duet of the rainbow connection that doesn't happen until after the power gets cut by tex richmond attempting to stop the show because they are making money at this point yes uh and amy adams fix it they they travel there by map yes and amy adams saved by mary who has they've traveled to la by map because they thought it would be faster and she rigs up a thing to bypass the power line getting cut and because they set up her technical prowess in the first act planting and payoff people very important so mary saves the day and then Texas Management tries to, like, destroy the power again, but um, Uncle Deadly and Bobo, like, turn on him. Because they realize they might be the bad guys, actually. <laughs> so after the duet, they're coming let's, towards let's the Let's talk end. about the duet. The okay. duet is the Rainbow Connection. Yes. Obviously, Kermit is out on this log. 
It's very cute. Miss Piggy comes in on her boat, and they're like singing it together. And then the whole group yeah, comes in, and everybody's last, singing Rainbow Connection. For the last verse, the whole ensemble sings it together, and it's very heartwarming. But oh no, they, they're really close to their goal, but they don't have a, something to fill up the last act. Yep. Oh, before this... Yes, no, during the Rainbow Connection, Animal gets over his drum problem and yes. does a sick drum fill. Floyd reveals that he has kept Animal's drumsticks all these years, because and they're perfectly preserved in a box. Everybody loves each other so much in this movie. And Animal, upon seeing his old drumsticks, is overcome with emotion, and he grabs them, and he finishes the Rainbow Connection with a sick drum solo. Yes, it's very cool. Then it's like, oh no, we don't have enough money. We're, we don't have any more acts. We're, We're so really close. close. It's coming to the end of the night. We just need one more act to fill out the show and maybe we'll get there. And so Walter plucks up his courage, goes on stage and whistles his tiny felty heart out. And he whistles very, very good. And that is his skill. He is very good at whistling. This was also planted in rehearsals earlier that he whistled out the music instead of actually learning it by like sheet music he's very good at whistling it's very very impressive standing ovation everybody loves it he's about to save the day they're at nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand and ninety nine dollars and then 80s robot backs his car up into the power line outside womp, womp. <laughs> poor 80s robot he didn't know he was doing such a bad tex richmond crashes the show at this point he drags his like dirty broken body that just like got thrown off the roof into the theater and starts monologuing about how he's won he's beaten the muppets because midnight and they haven't raised the money at this point i think fozzy bumps into the light board and it's revealed that they weren't actually like a <laughs> no, dollar away it they was were like nine it was like dollars or something it was like ten thousand dollars yeah and it's like that's still a decent amount of money but nowhere near the goal and everybody's <laughs> like you know honestly it kind of makes me feel better yeah, we were nowhere close. We were nowhere close. Uh, and then everybody's like kind of sad. Tex Richmond demands everybody leave his theater yeah. and uh, the audience files out. Oh, and... by the way, when the audience oh. starts filing in, <laughs> Hobo Joe starts charging admission like $5. So probably by the end of this night, Hobo Joe has made a like clean bank and he's oh, yeah. probably doing a lot better for himself. It's a good joke. Yeah. So the Muppets are leaving the theater <laughs> as they're walking down the aisle. You can very sadly hear the fart shoes. <laughs> yes. It's it's a sad walkout. Just before they leave the theater, Kermit turns around in the lobby and he gives a big inspiring speech about how no matter what, even though they lost, they came together and did something incredible and they're a family. And they and gave the world the third best gift of all. Laughter. And that's more important than any theater. And he gives them this big pep talk and tells them to walk outside with their heads high because they should be proud of being the Muppets. And they walk outside and all of Hollywood Boulevard is filled with screaming fans and There's they have so many signs. And everybody's so excited to see them again. And it's all, there's signs about like people being happy that they're back, that they've, you know, they've been away for so long and everyone's been missing them. And it's so good. Everything is so sweet. And then uh, Walter gets, like, invited to go stand with the rest of them with the, like, cheering fans. And it's very, very nice. And there's one final big, huge musical number. And it's a reprise of Everything is Great or Life's, Life's a, a Happy, happy Song. song. Uh, it's very good. It's 
more specific about the ending. It's really, really good. Uh, Amy Adams sings a little bit of it. I like it. There's some tap dancing. Some tap Every, dancing. Everybody gets a little moment in the song to... This is the only moment where Rizzo's yeah. character says anything, and it's in with, like, four characters singing one of the lines, but, you know, whatever, I'll take what I can get. And then, oh, there's a throwaway joke at the end that is set up during the show where Gonzo's performance is uh, involves throwing a bowling ball to knock something off Jack Black's head. But he can't let go. But he can't let go because his fingers get stuck in the ball, so he gets stuck with his arm rotating with this bowling ball on the end of it. And it stays that way through the rest of the show and outside, and it's still going. And then he manages to get it off his hand, and it hits Tex Richmond in the head. Yes. And then in the credits, there's a joke about how he decides to return the theater to the Muppets and has made like complete 180. Yes, he got hit in the head and now he's a good guy. And then there's like a news story that's like, Tex Richmond returns theater to Muppets, not related to head injury, Richmond claims. Yes. Uh, I also have written here, all hail to the Hobo King. I have the same note. Do you remember specifically what that's about? I'm pretty sure Hobo Joe has like... Hobo Joe has crowned himself the Hobo King by the end of the show. Yes, which makes sense. He is like baller now. So everything is like great. Everyone's happy, even though at this point they don't have their theater back. But like they clearly have the fans and they're gonna like keep going and they're together again. And fireworks go off over the theater and there's a really clear Mickey head. Yep. Like Disney likes doing this. It's called Hidden Mickeys. This is not terribly hidden. This is like three circular fireworks exactly positioned correctly at exactly the same time. Yeah. They do it in the fireworks at Disney all the time. Maybe it's the only way that people who go to Disneyland think fireworks work. We get the like villain changes his heart over the credits and also Menomina. Yes, we Everybody get... does Menomina. There's a big performance of Menomina with all of the celebrity cameos this and all the This is actually how it, it actually ends is like not with the like, big finale number, but like Amy Adams starts Menomina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like a close up on Amy Adams and she goes Menomina and then it like goes into the credits. It's very good. Oh, also like Gary proposes to Mary. And, yes. Like, that's right. important to the actual plot. Yes. Gary and Mary get like engaged and presumably married. Yes. It's very cute. This is a good movie. This is really good. Like it's genuinely very, very good. It's, like, exactly my speed, too, because it's, like, a straightforward musical. It's a funny meta. Like, a lot of the jokes are very meta, but in, like, a genuine way. It's very Muppety. It's good mm-hmm. Muppets. It, it, it is, like, a little bit, and I don't use this term negatively, but it's, like, a little bit fan fiction in the sense that, like, it has lots and lots of callbacks to earlier Muppet stuff, and it involves characters that are themselves fans of the Muppets being kind of brought into the story. Yeah, it's a little self-inserty, but I think that's a good thing because it yeah. has, like, you can't pretend that it doesn't have a legacy after this long being away. Yeah, it's not a negative, it's just something that I noticed about the construction of the movie. Yeah, it's very self-aware of what it is, and I yes. feel like I forgive it more with this than a lot of other things, partially because it has since become, like, a very big trend, like... This is a movie where it's very, very on the nose about it, but, like, we talk about Creed, and that's very similar in, like, what it's about and how it's doing it, Mm -hmm. or Spider-Verse more recently, where it's very much about the narrative surrounding this thing, 
and I think it works. And also because the Muppets is just normally incredibly meta, so it's normal for them to be doing this. Like, it's weird to not kind of be doing this. Yeah, this is very in keeping with how the Muppets normally interact with meta text. Yes, and it's good for it. Uh, This is the best one on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't necessarily agree with, but... Yeah, this has like a 95%, and it's the highest rated out of any of them, including the 1979 movie. Yeah. Which I think is probably just a result of, because it's newer, more people, uh, more critics specifically wrote reviews of it. And really quickly once it came out, as opposed to after the fact. It's really good. I don't even disagree with the 95. I just, it's been a while. Maybe I do like it more than the original, but I don't think so. Mm, I don't think I do, but that's... Maybe just because. But if it's... someone told me they did, I wouldn't think like. Yeah, no, it's that's a fair. It's, it's a fair choice. It's totally a fair choice. Um, I just find that there's a little bit more originality to the first one, and I don't know, maybe some of the like performances and and the writing is a bit stronger, a little tighter. Yeah. Um, but I have very little in the way of complaints about this movie. <laughs> I don't know it's super charming. All the characters feel consistent with who they they like from the other uh, properties that have come in the past. And and the new characters fit in well with the world. Yeah, the new characters fit really well in. And it's, yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, I like it. It's very welcoming to, like, newcomers and people who grew up with the Muppets, which is kind of important for this big sort of relaunch of the property. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't, I don't like bringing up the TV show as much as I have, but because uh, it's the last thing we watched. It's weird that they had it set up this well and then they didn't utilize all of the stuff they'd set up in this movie. Like, just make the TV show effectively a sequel to the movie. You don't have to actually make them, like, connected, connected, but, like, you've got a setup there. Also, Walter as an intern is funny to me. <laughs> oh, that Walter would be is, so like, good. super chipperly getting everybody coffee. Yeah. Like, but you yeah. have Walter now. He's adorable. Like, he doesn't need to be a main character, but just having him around to be way too excited about everything is basically gold. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that is the generalness of the movie. What did you pull up in your digging through the interwebs about this wonderful little flick? All right. It's time for some fun facts. Fun facts with Kenzie and Nate, boy. Fun fact Muppets Corner. The so, Children's Science Fun Time Corner. <laughs> we talked about some of these uh, already. It's got a few different uh, accolades to its name. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Song yes, in Manor 2012 Muppet. for Manor Muppet, which is a great song, and that was probably the right choice. I don't remember what else was nominated. Yeah, Best Song like slips through the fingers. Also, it's a hard one to qualify because so many songs get written for movies yeah. in a year that like, even when I have... St- I only ever have strong feelings about what is nominated. I very rarely feel like, well, this should have been nominated unless there's multiple musicals in a year, <laughs> which doesn't happen anymore. So despite the fact that this was the fourth uh, Muppets film to receive an Academy Award nomination, it's the first time a Muppet film won an Academy Award and the first Muppet film nominated for Best Original Song since The Great Muppet Caper in 1981. It is wild to me that none of the Muppets had won Oscars before this point, but I guess it is kind of a weird franchise in that way. Yeah, it's also the first one to get nominated for an award since the Muppets Take Manhattan in 1984. To be fair, I don't think Muppets from Space deserved any Oscar nominations, and that was the one between those two. Yeah, that's that's fair. You know, you gotta take these things with a grain of salt. Do you want to play Guess the Budget? 
I have no way of guessing a, this kind of a production. High? Pretty high. Uh, higher than Muppets from Space, which was around, what did we say, 12-something? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in this, and they do a lot of effects work with the Muppets where they're, like, running around and stuff, which is harder to do. I don't know, something in the, like, 25 range? A little higher than that. It's $45 million budget. That's more than almost twice, but okay. Yeah. Yes, so it had a $45 million budget. It grossed $6.5 million on opening day. That's pretty good. One day. Oh, <laughs> right, okay. This is worth noting. Man or Muppet won Best Original Song in 2012. There was only two songs nominated that year. Oof. Which is really weird. I didn't like, look that up doesn't happen. what it was running against. The only other song it was up against was Real in Rio from Rio, a movie oh. about two birds that fall in love and save their species when that species is actually extinct now. It's very sad. The recent news about the blue macaw has made those movies very sad. Even sadder than just, like, what they are, inherently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there was only two nominations. There, uh, they didn't do anything from uh, Nomeo or Juliet uh, or Happy Feet 2 or Winnie the Pooh that came out that year. Um, there were songs from Madonna's, like, documentary. There's a lot of stuff that didn't get, like, people were confused. Uh, but I think even if all of the other things had been nominated, I think this would have won. Because it's a good song. Yeah. It's just is... weird that it had no competition. That is a weird category that year. So it had a $45 million budget. It grossed $6.5 million on opening day, placing second behind the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. I mean, that seems kind of like inevitable like it's not nearly as bad as the time that disney released winnie the pooh against the last harry potter movie yeah because <laughs> yeah like at least this one definitely is a different audience anybody who isn't a mom or a teenage girl or moms who have little kids want will go to the muppets like if that's your competition i feel like you're safe yeah in the first five days that it ran it grossed 41.5 million. So it almost so, entirely earned back its budget within a week. Within a week. Which is really good. And it outgrossed every previous Muppets film. I think unadjusted for inflation, but in five days, it outgrossed every previous Muppets film. So the movie, partially maybe the ending of the movie works, because in reality, that basically was the situation. Everybody did want the Muppets back. Oh, Very absolutely. badly. We missed them. I missed them yes. now. Give me more Muppets, Disney. This is a case of life imitating art. Overall, worldwide, it grossed $165 million over its theater run. That's pretty dang good. And this movie like can't translate well. Four times its budget. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, it's not Chinese bank kind of money, but like... This was still a massive hit. Especially huge like considering hit. the size of the movie, it's huge yeah it's fantastic and yeah. again this is the kind of movie that wouldn't do necessarily fantastically in forward markets because it's very wordy um however i'm guessing muppets probably dub really well because their mouths don't make any like it's not <laughs> like an animated movie where you have to get it on the time you can basically put whatever in their little mouths so let's get into some of the talent behind this movie uh it was directed by james bobbin and this was his featured debut james bobbin I don't know that name, but you, you kind of warned me that I would know it. Well, you'll be familiar with some of the other stuff that he's done. So Great name. He's a British director, writer, and producer. I assumed with the name James Bobbin. He is one of the co-creators of The Flight of the Concords. Okay, that explains Brett McKenzie's yes. inclusion. So he's a producer that worked with 
uh, Brett McKenzie and Jermaine Clement. Can I just recommend anybody who hasn't watched Flight of the Concords, like, if you like the Muppets and maybe make it a little more adult, it's got a lot of the same, like, sense of humor. This will probably be less impressive to you, but he also helped create the uh, Sasha Baron Cohen characters of Ali G, Borat, and Bruno in their original TV incarnations. Okay, in their earlier versions, okay. Yeah. Um, he directed and wrote The Muppets Most Wanted, which is the next, uh, the sequel that they wrote. Which I'm also pretty fond of, it's not quite as good as this, but I like it. And he took over for Tim Burton to direct uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass. The second uh, Disney live-action Alice in Wonderland movie. I need to watch that. The first one is just kind of bland, but I've heard some pretty good stuff about the second one, actually. At the very least, a podcast I listen to, uh, Serious Disney, which is good if you guys like want to listen to other Disney podcasts. They did a like breakdown of that movie that made me like very curious. I don't think they described it as good necessarily, but like better than the first one. Fun. It's not bad. It's hard to take over from Tim Burton and make something out of that. So, you know, give the guy props for, you know, that. And he's currently slated as the director for the Dora the Explorer movie. So right, the live action Dora the Explorer. See how movie. that works out in the That future. gives me a little more hope for that movie, honestly, because yeah. it means they're probably it's probably a comedy. Yeah, there's actually a lot of the same talent behind Dora the Explorer, I learned in researching this. Huh. So the writers are Jason Siegel, also co-wrote the movie, and yes. Nicholas Stoller. Uh, these guys are both part of the kind of Judd Apatow collective. Uh, they've worked yeah. together a lot in the past. Uh, Jason Siegel had his acting breakout in the TV series Freaks and Geeks. Yes, yes, which I haven't seen, but I've heard great things about. he's done a ton of other stuff. He was in How I Met Your Mother, uh, Slackers, you know his face. He's around. Tape, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, lots of comedies. Uh, he's also write, written and produced a lot of that stuff. Uh, a lot of the movies that he stars in, he also Does either work. produced or writes on them. I mean, it's interesting, though, because the Judd Apatow crowd is known very much for improv. Yes. Which is, I don't think, typically how Muppet movies function because you're working with puppets. You do have to be pretty good on your feet for working in Muppets because it is absurd in a way that a lot of other work isn't. So I can see mm-hmm. why he's a good fit. Uh, Nicholas Stoller is a director, writer, and producer as well. He's done a lot of the same stuff with uh, Jason Siegel. So they make a the good comedies. team, which makes sense. He's also done... Um, writing on Zoolander 2. He wrote, Ooh. produced, and directed Storks, which is a surprisingly fun animated movie with a pretty decent uh, heart to it. Yeah, I liked Storks. It's not uh, the best thing Sony Pictures has put up, but it's got it's got heart to it. Yeah. This is to his credit. He wrote Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Well, that is a good piece of adaptational animation right there. Including the featured song, Saturday. Really? Yeah. Well, I... Another movie recommendation that isn't Muppets related in any way. If you missed this one, Captain Underpants, surprisingly good movie. Especially for those who grew up on the, I guess, graphic novels? Comics? I don't know what they are. The, it's a really good adaptation and yeah it's a lot of fart jokes and stuff but like in the correct way yes it's charming it's also really interestingly animated I like it DreamWorks is hit or miss but it's a good or, it's a better one on DreamWorks it's a solid movie I liked it a lot so this guy works in animation sometimes which is interesting I'll have to keep my eye out the next few things we go to the score was composed by Christophe Beck who is a Quebecois composer he also if I'm not mistaken did work for Frozen yes he is extremely prolific he does a lot of work Disney likes yes. him though he's one of their top guys after Chiquino he is the brother of the Grammy winning musician Chili Gonzalez who I am not familiar with 
How do they have such different... Whatever. It's probably One of them has a stage name. name. Uh, I I choose to believe it's Christoph Beck that has the stage name. He studied music at Yale and later at the USC Thornton School of Music. So there's like a lot of really solid talent behind this movie. Clearly, yeah. Well, I mean, Christoph Beck is prolific because he's good at his (laughs) job. And the score in Frozen, which is what I know Mm -hmm. him for, is really good. Like, the score is arguably better than the rest of the music in that movie besides Let It Go. Because it's consistent and it knows what it's doing. Yeah, this is a neat fact that I learned. He also scored most of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. (laughs) Including he uh, polished off the music for Once More with Feeling. All right. Buffy does have a good score for a TV show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he He's composed for dozens and dozens of TV shows and movies. He does a lot of work. He yeah. likes his work and he does it. And like a huge range too. Yeah, and there's a lot of varieties of style there from like yeah. very typical Broadway stuff to like he can pick up cultures really easily. Yeah. He's a talented guy. He Disney must really like him because he also did the movie, the music for Frozen. He's slated for Frozen 2, but he also did both of the Ant-Man movies. I don't really remember those scores, but I never remember Marvel scores except for Black Panther. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, Doctor Strange had some interesting stuff, but that's because everything in Doctor Strange was, like, trippy as hell. Yeah, Uh, so again, on the music front, uh, there was also music supervision and original songs written by Brett McKenzie, who is a comedy musician from New Zealand. He's one half of Flight of the Concords. We've talked about him. We've talked about him a little bit. I think he might be involved in What We Do in the Shadows a little bit. No, wait, I don't think he is. It's Uh, only Taika. No, I think it's Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi that are both working on the show. He's very good at his job. Alfie the Racist Dragon. Very good. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, some general fun facts. Uh, it was developed in 2008 originally as an hmm. old school Muppet movie. In Which... the original version, Jason Siegel was supposed to be playing a ventriloquist. That would be really creepy. I'm would have been weird. I think that had to go. <laughs> I'm glad they moved away from that. I idea. can see that in the like texture of the character a little bit. Yeah. Though. The original title for the script was "The Greatest Muppet Movie of All Time" with three exclamation points. I mean, that probably would have worked fine as a title, but yeah. I think simplifying it, although. I don't know if just the Muppets was the right way to go because it is really hard to distinguish what you're talking about. Like we joked about it in the front, but they need to stop just naming things the Muppet. Things need subtitles or like different words in them. Like, I'm sorry. When you're rebooting stuff, please stop doing this. Everybody has to add a subtitle eventually or say the year all the time. Don't do it, guys. I'm just talking vaguely to everybody who makes movies for my own sake. Also video games, anybody, really everybody to stop. I know it's tempting when you're rebooting something and you want the image to be fresh, but it's not going to be fresh no matter what you do, so just differentiate it. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. So there was an alternate title that was considered at one point, which was named after an unused script that was written by Jerry Jewell in 1985. Oh. As far as I can tell, it was never actually produced, but it was called The Cheapest Muppet Movie Ever Made, which is <laughs> They seem hilarious. to really want to go with the blankest Muppet movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. Originally, Nicholas Stoller was going to direct it, but then they signed James Bobbin on in 2010. And they actually had creative meetings with the uh, creative heads at Pixar to fine-tune the script, which might be why it has such a, like, tight emotional arc arc to it, yeah. Yeah, um, mixed feelings because I know who the heads of Pixar were at the time, but um, good work. Obviously, they're good storytellers. I can't complain about that. More fun facts. They closed down all of Hollywood Boulevard for two nights to film Life is Happy Song. But yeah, they would have to. There's very large crowd shots there. and I just of... kind of assumed it was green screened. I no. can't believe they actually did that. No, also, they... the Cars, bu- the cars bu- like billboard is still really obvious there. So that must have <laughs> just been an actual billboard they had 
that up there if those are actual shots of Hollywood billboards. Yeah. So I I don't take back my criticisms, but I guess I dampen them a little bit. <laughs> since they probably just wanted that there anyways. Kermit's wardrobe in the movie was custom designed by Brooks Brothers. Fun fact. He wears like one suit. They used the uh, Universal Soundstage 28 for the interiors of the Muppets Theater. Which is the soundstage that houses the set for the Phantom of the Opera, Paris Opera House. Now, Phantom of the Opera, but with Muppets, is a movie I would watch. Oh, absolutely. Now, is Miss Piggy Christine? Or is Christine human and everybody else is a Muppet? I think Christine is human because Miss Piggy has to be, uh, oh, what's her name? The, oh, the right, diva. she has to be the diva, never yeah. mind. Animal <laughs> is the phantom, it doesn't make any sense, but there it is. Yes, love it, okay. Christine is just like a sick rock drummer. The uh, exteriors for the Muppet Studios were filmed at the Jim Henson Company lot. Aww. Yeah, and partly at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, but... I mean, you have the Disney Studios Burbank for a reason. Uh, They used original archival recordings of Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, and Richard Hunt uh, as the Muppet Show segments and in the opening flashback. And this is also the final Muppets performance of uh, Jerry Nelson, who reprises his role from the Muppets Show as the announcer at the telethon. Aww. Yeah. That's sweet of him. We need to get our... uh traditional dose of what did Frank Oz think of this movie that he wasn't asked to be part of. I am still sad (laughs) that they don't include Frank Oz, but it seems like he is hard to work with. Yeah. Like, no offense, he's a talent and a brilliant man, but, like, it does seem like he's very particular. Initially, he was disapproving of the early scripts. The early scripts might not have been good, though. Yeah, they might not have. But once he finally saw the film, he came around to appreciating it for what it was. He said that, I thought the film was really sweet and fun, a little too safe, a little retro. I prefer more cutting edge in the Muppets. But the main thing is everybody got back to appreciating the Muppets. It brought people back to the Muppets. Although they never really left, it's always been kind of a subculture. It's always been there in our popular culture. So I'm happy that people are happy. I feel a little conflicted because I... (laughs) It seems like Frank Oz both wants everything to be exactly like it was when everybody he knew was working on it and cutting edge all of the time. And he doesn't like it when they're cutting edge in a way that how he would do it. Yeah. And I don't like what they've done some of the time too, but I just, I don't know besides just giving him the reins to everything, if there's anything they could do to actually make him happy. Yeah, he does seem very hard to please. I do agree that this movie is kind of safe. And I think that's fair. But I think that's kind of what you need to restart something like this. You gotta start somewhere. And I don't think Muppets from Space was a good launching point, you know? Muppets from Space was a bit of a misstep for them, like... I love it, and it's bad Dawson Creek cameos, but I do, like, it's not... I think it's very fun, but it is... It's not a very good movie. Not a good like breakout it's not a franchise from, starter yeah we mentioned this a little bit earlier but we advertised this movie with spoof romantic comedy trailers and posters the first one was attached to pirates of the caribbean on stranger tides and was uh, an advertisement for a romantic comedy under the faux name green with envy it's not easy being green uh, additional spoof trailers parodied the hangover part two Green Lantern, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Paranormal Activity 3, Happy Feet 2, Puss in Boots, and The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. Man, this was not a great time in cinema. (laughs) They had fantastic puns like the Fuzzy Pack uh, being green, the pig with the froggy tattoo. 
abnormal activity, dancing on happy feet, which is, I mean, that's not really I'm, much I'm of a, a pun. I'm going to make a small point. I've always been vaguely disappointed that the first Happy Feet movie doesn't include the song Happy Feet. It was a thing I did dap dancing to once. Anyways, tangent aside. Uh, fuss in boots and... <laughs> The brilliant Breaking Prawn, which I'm sure heavily featured Pepe. I would have to assume so. We didn't look any of these up. I'm sure you can track them down. Yeah. I'm not sure, actually. Probably some of them you can track down. Some of them uh, have been. At at least Green with Envy is online, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know about the rest of them, but you can probably find them. Yeah. Disney's good at scrubbing stuff, though, so don't hold us to that. And now it's time for Cameo Corner. Cameo Corner. So these are all the ones that were listed online. I don't know if it's a complete list. Some of them might be. So we mentioned most of them. So just like. We did mention a lot of them. Just mention the ones that we. We maybe missed. Yeah, uh, we mentioned Emily Blunt. James Carville. Uh, I'm not actually sure who that is, but he was on the list. Uh, Leslie Feist. Oh, I think James Carville was the um, tour guide. No. No? Okay. No. I actually don't know if I have that one here. Anyways. Anyway. Um, Leslie Feist. Leslie Feist as a small town resident. Yes. Uh, she's a Canadian singer-songwriter. Uh, she she's, is Feist. She's great. She's Feist. Uh, we mentioned Whoopi Goldberg and Selena Gomez. This is one that I didn't catch the first time, but you know how in the Muppets, Animal is Animal, and he is just a dude wearing, like, Muppet Fates. clothing? <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. like, dressed as a Muppet, but he's clearly just a human dude, and he's playing the drums. Yes. Can you guess who that was? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's Dave Grohl of Nirvana. <laughs> oh my god. I love that. Oh, I just made myself sad. Kurt Cobain would have loved to be a Muppets cameo. Oh, no. He was such a good guy. Oh. Uh, he would have loved that. Sorry, oh. I just made myself sad. I feel I have feelings about Kurt Cobain. Yeah. But yes, Dave Grohl. That's, Dave Grohl. That's good. Neil Patrick Harris, Judd Hirsch, we John Krasinski, uh, Rico Rodriguez. Uh, Mickey Rooney is the elderly small town resident. He has a brief cameo in the uh, opening musical number yes. where he's sitting on a bench and waving hello or something like I, that. I did notice that, uh, but yeah. I, I had to go through a real roundabout way of recognizing him because old Mickey Rooney I only recognize as the other guard from Night at the Museum, the one who isn't the guy from Mary Poppins, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. Um, sorry, uh, Mickey, you just don't have that much cultural relevance anymore. Uh, David Bobbin, who is another name I'm not familiar with. Is it James Bobbinson's brother? Maybe. Uh, it's as himself, so Possibly? I don't know. Then there were also some cameos that were filmed but not put in the actual movie. They were cut for time. Yeah, I could see how this movie could get yeah. unwieldy. So we had Rob Corddry, Billy Crystal, Aww. Ricky Gervais. Oh, well, yeah, okay, good. Kathy Griffin, Sarah Hyland, Sterling Knight, Wanda Sykes, and Aww. Danny Trejo. Aww. All There's like three of those I'm really sad about. Had their cameos filmed, but they got cut for time. They might actually be on the deleted scenes. We do have the like special edition, so we'll, we'll watch that sometime. This one uh, kind of frustrates me there was a cameo written for elmo to appear in this movie but it was rejected by the disney attorneys and sesame street workshop why i don't know that would have been so great because the first one has a big bird cameo and it would have been a nice symmetry yeah also elmo because elmo didn't even exist in the 70s actually he's newer and this one's kind of hilarious but during an interview on the late late show with craig ferguson jason siegel probably kind of jokingly offered Craig Ferguson a cameo during the interview and it was the first person that they'd asked 
and he said he would have loved to, and then they just never officially offered him the cameo. Aww. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened. Uh, and that is all the fun facts that I have researched. Most so. of those were very fun. Yes, and they were all facts. <laughs> but mostly. There was some wild speculation that I threw in there. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, quick thoughts on the movie. It's really solid. It's a good time. It would make a good double feature with the original. Yeah, see this movie. It's very family-friendly. It's really solidly written. The character arcs are very moving and very well-written. But it's lighthearted. It's but not it's lighthearted, like you're not yeah. going to get sad most of the time. It's just good. It is a great celebration of the legacy of the Muppets. Yeah. Maybe we should have saved this for the last one. It's our swan song. <laughs> it's our swan song. No, we'll do Muppets from Space again and make it better. <laughs> Muppets from Space. Redux. Well, that has been it for the Rainbow Connection. Did oh. we decide what our next episode's going to be? I don't think we have yet, so you guys are in for a surprise. Sorry again about how late things got into this new year. Yeah, we we've... just suck at New Year's. <laughs> we've kind of broke the schedule but we'll try and get back yeah so thank you guys for listening wait before we go i have a question for you oh do you think we've found the rainbow connection here in the muppets 2011 you know i think we're getting closer but i don't think we quite have it ah well just have to keep searching we'll find it someday we'll find it thanks for listening I'm Nathan. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. I'm Mackenzie. You can find me at Kenzie Phoenix. And our Twitter for the show is at MuppetsPod. And you can also email us at MuppetsPod at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is a cover of The Rainbow Connection by Alex Conwell. That's it for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like, share, subscribe, etc., etc. Review us on iTunes. Give us some sign that you exist, please. Uh, Tell your friends. See ya. They can find the show. Most places podcasts are found. <laughs> Most places the podcasts live. See ya on the flip side of the rainbow. One of these days you're going to forget to say that. <laughs> no, nope, I'm not going to. I need to do it. It's in my blood. All right. I'm going to well, get it tattooed on my body. <laughs> until next time, everybody. Have a good time. <laughs> that was great. I love you. <laughs>